Hello. How's it going? <laughs> Thank you for coming. Welcome to Harvest Bible Fellowship. Um, appreciate you coming today. It's amazing. I don't, I'm not up here often. I don't get a chance often, but I'm very thankful to be able to have the chance to share the love of Jesus with you. And it's amazing as through the week that I'm preparing... The praise team, the songs, they just are right in line with what I want to talk to you about today. It's amazing. It just, I, I'm, I'm singing the songs and I'm trying to keep myself from just, <laughs> just falling apart because the songs just touch my heart. And I don't communicate with Nick or Ben or anybody about who's singing what songs and what songs. It's just, it just happens every time. And I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit to just encourage us that way. Especially because I've got my heart's about beating out of my chest right now. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we just come before you. We thank you, Lord, that you are high and lifted up. Lord, we want you to be high and lifted up, to be magnified in our life in such a way that we can draw close to you and feel your presence, that we can feel your personal touch, your working in our life, Lord. And more than that, Lord, that we can know your heart. Lord, we thank you that you have exalted your word above your very name. Lord, I pray that that would be our heart to magnify the word that you have given us, that you have made available to us on the daily. And as Stephanie said before, Lord, we, we do pray for Pastor Ken. I know he's listening. I know he's watching. I know he wants to be here. Lord, I ask you to heal him. Lord, and, and Lord, I know he wants to be here. He wants to be ready to go because he, he loves your people. And I, I want to thank you, Lord, for giving this church a shepherd who truly loves his people, just Lord Jesus, as you love us. And we just ask you, Lord, that your spirit would draw us to your precious son, Jesus, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in Psalm 40 today. So if you want to turn to Psalm 40, there is going to be, um, I'm going to ask you to turn to certain scriptures today. But I will, I'll be quoting quite a bit. Um, I won't ask you to turn to everyone. <laughs> and the title of the message that God gave me is, Who are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? And, and I think that the answer to these questions is very it points to where our life is. As you look out in the world and you see a world that is living apart from Jesus Christ and what they're waiting for on the daily. And what we who profess to believe in the church, what are we waiting for? Who are we waiting for? I'm not going to assume that everyone here today is saved. I'm not going to assume that everybody here is being led by the Spirit of God. 
as we see things unfold in our current world, it's very obvious what's going on. James uh, chapter 4 tells us, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? You lust and have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask not and receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy? But he gives more grace. Wherefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. There's this consistent theme throughout the Bible of expectation. What are you looking for? John tells us in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, he says, now if we become the sons of God, and, and we don't know what yet we are going to be, but when we know that when he shall appear... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. See, does it it matter if you're looking for Jesus Christ right now? Does it matter if you believe in the rapture? Yes. Yes, it does. It plays out a specific way of how we're living our life and, and what we're expecting. And we see that in Psalm 40, David has this expectancy. And in this psalm, it's awesome. Because in it is woven the Trinity, prophecy, redemption, salvation. All these elements are beautifully woven into this psalm. And I I love paying attention to certain words. I don't know if you guys do like Bible studies and you just dig into the Word and you look up meanings and things of that nature. But... Jesus said, seek and you shall find. In Psalm 40, verse 1, David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. That word waited means expected. I'm expecting something. I'm expecting someone. I wouldn't be calling out to someone if I didn't expect an answer. And what I fear in this world is, is and, and even within our church, is there's a lack of nearness, a lack of personal relationship, a lack of touch. And David says, I wait, I'm expecting you to hear my cry, he says. And it says, in the, in, He inclined unto me. That word inclined, you would think, means going up. It actually doesn't in the King James. It means to deliver, to go down, to pitch. 
and to stretch out. In that one word is, is David expected the Lord to come into his personal situation, what he was going through. In one word, the Lord says, I'm going to go down. I'm going to set myself up. And I'm going to stretch out. It's a beautiful picture of the cross. Right in that word. It's the same word that was used in Exodus 6.6 when God said, I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. Remember, they were under bondage. And God says, I'm going to redeem you with a stretched out arm. Whenever you're reading your Bible and you hear the arm of the Lord or my stretched out arm, my right hand, it's pointing to a person. It's pointing to Jesus Christ. Now this psalm was written probably a thousand years before he was even manifested as a babe in Bethlehem. I'm not sure on the date. I think Matthew Henry's commentary says uh, like a 1034 B.C. or something like that. Um, And here's a picture of the Lord says, I'm going to come down and I'm going to hear your cry. I'm going to attentively, diligently consider the cry of your heart. And that word cry is from Exodus. It's the same word used in Exodus 2.23 where it says, And their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. See, I fear that many people are in bondage today. Even Christians. And God says, whether you're a person who doesn't know Jesus Christ here today, or you're a person who has professed to believe in Jesus Christ, and there's something in your life that is impeding this closeness, this connection, this nearness with God Almighty. He says, if you'll cry, if you'll call upon me, I will attentively come down, and I will heal you. I will hear your cry. I will meet that need in your life. God heard David's cry, and he came very near to him. What does James 4.8 say? I just read it. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. And immediately we hear that, and we're like, well, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to start doing things. I've got to start doing more good things. So other people around me know that I'm a good Christian or that I haven't backslidden or that my marriage isn't perfect or that I'm not in bondage to some personal sin that I don't want anybody else to know about. And we put up this front and we're just robbing ourselves from the nearness that we can have with God. And David is that man. That's why God said, he's a man after my own heart. Yes, he's done wrong. Yes, he's sinned. But he's crying out to me. And I know the intent of his heart. I know he wants to be with me. And it's not, there's nothing that David could do. There's nothing that you and I can do to to. Get near to God 
on our own works and our own efforts, by our own religious things that we think that we're doing to get closer to God. And it's very simple. You have to call upon the One who can deliver you. Who, can, who came down to you. You see, the, this, this world is like Egypt, is it not? It's filled with polytheism, many gods. They're all false, we know that. It's all filled with religion. No relationship. And they're trying to attempt to get closer to God by their works. And God says, no, I'm coming down. I hope you see Jesus in the psalm today. In Psalm 145, 18-21, you don't have to turn there. But it's David again says, The Lord is near unto all them that call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear Him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. The Lord preserves all them that love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless His holy name. Forever and ever. And see, in verse 2 it says, He brought me up also out of a horrible pit. That brought up, He's caused me to ascend. He's carrying me up out of this prison, this dungeon, whether it be my own personal circumstance or my sin that is keeping me from that closest to God. David said, He brought me. He's doing it. He, I cried out to Him and He came and He brought me out of this prison. Remember when Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees and He said, basically, He that sins has a lifestyle of sinfulness as a servant of sin. You've become a slave to it. You're captive by it. And yet you're professing to be free. You profess to know God, but you reject me. And and he told him, he said, you know, if you don't believe that I am he, you shall surely die in your sins. Hard pill to swallow for someone who thinks that they know God and yet they reject the very one that God sent to deliver them. He brought me up out of the miry clay. When I read that word, it just directed me to Luke chapter 15 and the story of the prodigal. And you, know, you all know the story. Where do you find swine? In the mud. It's easy to look at other people. It's easy to look at people in the world who don't know Jesus Christ and yeah, they look at them, they're playing around in the mud and then forget that we were the same way when we were a prisoner to our sinful nature. And we know the story how he he came to this recognition that I've spent my father's inheritance. I I need to go back to my father and I'm not even worthy to be even called a son. I'll I'll just have him hire me as a servant. 
And we see the joy of his father. His father ran out to meet him as he was going towards, going back home, like that song, you know, come home. He's coming home back to his father. And his father's running out to meet him. That's like the picture here. That David's crying out to God. And God's coming down to him to meet that need, to deliver him. Notice God is doing the work. He set me up, right? He set my feet, my foundation, upon a rock. His foundation. He took my foundation and He's made it His foundation. And we know who that rock is. That rock, it's a foundation, it's a fortress, it's a stronghold. Matthew 7.24, Jesus said, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, referring to, uh, Paul said, referring to the Jewish people that came with Moses out of Egypt. He says, All drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Isn't it interesting how in Psalm 23 it says, The Lord is my shepherd. He leadeth me. And yet we see here in Exodus, um, referring to Exodus, that rock followed them. He has the, he's leading us. He has our back. He's a shepherd. When we veer off the path, He comes back around. He makes sure that His sheep aren't lying on their back crying for help. He's a faithful shepherd. And he fixed, he established my steps. Verse 2 says, my goings. And because of this, because he did all the work, now I can say, he's put a new song in my heart. He's put a song in my mouth. Even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. Understand this, that everything that David is going through personally, it's speaking to Jesus Christ, yet future, that he would, do, he would go through the same thing. Blessed is the man that makes the Lord his trust and respects not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Like what we were, right? We, I mean, in our sinful nature, we, we are proud. I don't know about you, but I told plenty of lies before I knew the Lord. And now he says, Blessed is the man that makes the Lord his trust and respects not the proud, nor such as turn aside. Notice these qualities are indicative of the devil. They're satanic, just like in the garden. Full of pride. He speaks a lie. And we're no longer going that direction. Because, we're being, because those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ have been filled with His Holy Spirit and no longer want to go in the direction that they were. I realize there are some people that may be here today who have a maybe not tasted and drank of Jesus Christ, have a hard time with these verses. Some have tasted and some profess to believe, 
And yet there seems to be a barrier between you and the Lord, and you're not experiencing the joy of your salvation. Maybe you've backslidden. Maybe you don't have the zeal that you once had when you first met Jesus Christ. And it's very hard to say, he's, he's done this wonderful work. He's, he's, he's put a new song in my mouth. I just, I just want to go and tell everybody that I know about this Jesus who I just met, who just saved me. He just forgave me of all of my sins. Do you remember that? Those of you who have been born again. And now years have gone by, and now you've been churched. You've gotten more mature. More boring. I'm not pointing at you. I'm looking at myself. I, I, I'm doing this study and I mean the Lord has just cut me up. Hans, remember? Remember when we first met? You couldn't wait to get to work. Not because you loved Walmart. But because... You couldn't wait to have the opportunity to talk to a person about me because of what I did for you. And somewhere along the line, you, you created this distance. See, God is set. He, he doesn't change. He doesn't move. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. But how we're expecting in our life, what we're expecting, who we are expecting, determines how we're living our life. And again, the question, who are you waiting for? The next movie to come out? Next album by your favorite contemporary artist? The weather? Isaac said to me this morning, Daddy... It looks like Narnia outside today. Those of you who know Narnia understand what he's talking about. And I'm like, son, don't worry. Aslan's on the move and winter's going to be over eventually. There's going to be a thaw. But we're waiting. It seems like we're waiting for things to change. I can't wait for this to be over. I can't wait for uh, our country to be different or... And yet, it's, it's the heart. The heart is the problem. The heart of man is the problem. And Jesus Christ is the solution. But are we waiting for Him? Now, just like an awesome song. You know when you're hearing a song and you hear, here's the first verse, here's the chorus, and then here's another verse. It's very easy to distinguish that. Here... And when, as we get to verse 6, you're going to see something changes in this psalm. Someone enters in. Someone enters into the picture. And it's no longer David. It's pretty awesome. I'm going to back up a minute because I forgot verse 5. <laughs> Many, O Lord, my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to us where they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Remember in John chapter 21, verse 25? It states, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. 
God has done such wonderful things in each of our lives. Most of which we don't even see or we don't give him the credit for because we're so busy looking and expecting other things. As if God exists for us. And God created us for his good pleasure. See, we, we, I think we, we spend so much time, and, and we know when we were off in the world, and we wanted people to know our heart. I, I want you to know me. I want you to know my heart. I want, I want you to know my person, what I like, what I dislike. And God says, do you, do you want to know me? Because I'm the one who's going to fill every void in your life. And you'll never thirst for the things, that those temporary things that just rob you and put you in bondage. So we have no excuse before God. He's given us so many things. If we have Jesus Christ, we're not lacking anything in our life. So there's this closest now when we have received Christ, a relationship and a proximity that is so close it's hard to distinguish any separation. When you're fellowshipping with the Lord, when you're abiding in Christ, and you, have, you sense the presence of God, because he's given you his spirit, a helper, a comforter, as we go through this life, this life is so hard. It's not easy. I'm finding out as you get older, the harder it gets. And the things I once expected when I was a younger, the things I were looking for when I was younger, now I'm older and I'm like, I can't wait for bedtime. Just, just want some peace. <laughs> you know, the dog, the kids, and I just want the noise to stop and I just want some peace and quiet. We have, you know, because of God's great love for us, the relationship, even within the Trinity itself, the love of Jesus to his Father and his Spirit that he's given to all who believe on his name. This is all in this psalm. And this relationship is only possible because of Jesus, not by human effort. Let's look at what Jesus did. Let's look at who he is. Like I said, in verse 6, something changes here. And this is amazing. Because all of a sudden, he says, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. My ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Wait a minute. All, all those ceremonial laws and, and the sacrifices, you've not required. You mean you're not delighted in those things anymore, God? Because the person who's speaking here, he says, my ears hast thou opened. This is a very interesting phrase here. In the midst of sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire, and burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. On the, on the surface, you're like, yes, I hear you now. I, you've opened my ears. But that is not what it means. Turn to Exodus, chapter 21. Keep your place in Psalm 40, though. This is beautiful. In Exodus, chapter 21, it says, Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve, and in the seventh, 
he shall go out free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife and she has borne him sons and daughters, the wife and her children shall be her master's and he shall go out by himself. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or unto the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl. And he shall serve him forever. Do you realize that Jesus Christ did this for you and I? See, Jesus, he became the servant. And he came in freely. And he, had, he, he, had, he could go freely. But because he loves his wife and his kids, he loves his bride, the church. He said, no, I don't, I don't want to leave them alone. I don't want to leave my family. I'm, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to willingly serve my master and my, have my ears bored and become a bondservant willingly. And I'll love my master and I'll love my wife and the kids and I'll be with them forever. So when Jesus was nailed to the cross, you see, he allowed himself to be pierced for you and me because he loves his bride. He loves the church. He loves who he's redeemed. What a beautiful picture this is of Jesus becoming that servant. How do I know this? Am I just making this stuff up? Look at the next verse, verse 7. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of who? David? No. Of me. Who's speaking? This is uh, it's funny because Hebrews chapter 10 quotes this. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. Hebrews chapter 10, 5 through 10 says, Wherefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you would not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. See, the, the religion's not going to work. The sin offerings, the oblations, the new moons, the Sabbaths, is stated in Isaiah chapter 1. It's, it's not good enough. I need a perfect sacrifice. A body thou hast prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither had pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which, while we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all, never again, 
that once he paid that debt, you are his forever. But you don't have to worry anymore if you're good enough, if you've done enough. Because you see, this whole psalm is about the work of God in our life. And we as prideful men and prideful women love to pad the stats on our spiritual resume. And God says, your righteousness is filthy rags. There's only one that's righteous, and that one is my son who delights to do my will. Remember when Jesus was baptized and he came out of the water and he heard a voice from heaven, said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. When we're all standing before God one day, we're, not, we're either going to be standing in our own righteousness or in the righteousness of Christ. He's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Not because we're so great and perfect and got our lives together. Because our lives are covered by the blood of Christ who is worthy of all of our praise. There's no name that you could search on Google. There's no name in any book, in any library, across the whole entire world that surpasses the name of Jesus Christ. Him alone, He died for your sins. Him alone, He rose from the dead. There's no other name under heaven by which you must be saved than by the name of Jesus Christ. Turn to Luke chapter 24. I'm going to try to see we're getting close here. (laughs) This is awesome stuff. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through this whole psalm, but... This is just awesome stuff. Do you like meat? Who likes meat here? Now some of you might be saying, well, this is sort of milk, Hans. This is like basic stuff. But to some it's meat. You know, in John chapter uh, 4, verse 32, Jesus said, I have meat to eat that you not, you know not of. My meat, in verse 34, is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Aren't you glad it's not up to you to finish God's work? (laughs) That provides me freedom. Not freedom to sin. Not freedom to do as I please and to live as if I haven't been purchased by the blood of Christ. Where I can proclaim Jesus Christ and then go off expecting other things in the world and living a life that's really not waiting for the Lord to appear at any moment. In Luke 24, verse 27, now this is after Jesus had, had risen. It says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he, that's Jesus, expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Did you hear that? All the scriptures. The New Testament hadn't been penned at this point. And they drew near unto the village where they went, and he made as though he would have gone further, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us. See, we want this closeness. For it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went into tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread, and he blessed it, and he brake and gave to them. And their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened us the Scriptures? Let me ask you this. Is your heart burning? Because there's this closeness that you're experiencing with Jesus Christ. Our heart burnt within us 
when he was here right next to us. And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done the way in the way and how he was known of them in the breaking of the bread. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands, my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me, handle me. And see, for a spirit has not flesh and bones, as you see, see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed, not for joy, and wondered, he said unto them, Have you here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb. And he took it and he did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things might be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Wait a minute. Yes, Jesus, He's always existed. This psalm is about Him. This whole book that you have in front of you, from Genesis to Revelation, is about Jesus Christ. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we have this event. Now, back then, what, do you think you went and saw people going to the marketplace holding a huge giant scroll on their shoulders? Because that's what they had. they had. They all had to go to one place to hear the reading. And yet, or in some people's cases, you have the Word of God available to you like never before. And yet, I think in some ways, we're not waiting upon Him like previous generations. Which is odd. Why? In verse 8 of Psalm 40, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yes, thy law is within my heart. This is the life-giving womb. The seed of generation he's talking about. In his heart. There's going to be two usages of the word heart in this psalm. I want you to pay attention to it because it's a blessing to know that those two words are different. Because of the one who's speaking here. He says, the law is within my heart. In in my life-giving, most intimate part of my being, the law is in my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips. O Jehovah, O Lord, Thou knowest. I have not hid Thy righteousness within my heart. There it is again. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. That word heart in verse 10 is a different word. It means the will. My will. 
I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart, my will to do it. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Now, if we compared ourselves to this verse, we could say, well, have I, have I refrained from speaking about Jesus in public? I profess to know Jesus. Have I, I haven't always... Uh, declared his faithfulness and his salvation in my life. Nobody has here. Nobody can say that in truth except one person. Jesus. Jesus is the only person who's ever existed that can say this verse in truth and say, I have not hid your righteousness within my heart. Never. And he has not concealed it to any of us. He's never hid himself from us. He's always made himself available. Why? Because he wants a closeness of relationship to us. Verse 11, Withhold not thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. Continually. Now you see another change. Verse 12, David sort of comes back. It's interesting how David, when he's speaking, he's penning that the Holy Spirit is prophesying of Jesus Christ as he's speaking. And it says, For innumerable evils have compassed me about. They've surrounded me. My iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to even look up. They are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart fails me. David's saying, My heart. My will's gone. When my will fails me, and it's my sins. I have evils. I have, there's spiritual wickedness going around in my life. Whether it be the sins that brought me to this place. Whether it be circumstances. He says, I'm, my heart's failing me, God. Have you ever been in that place? You ever felt not close to the Lord? And you're wondering, why, Lord, I'm... I'm What's wrong? And he says, Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me, O Lord. Make haste to help me. Quickly, I need your help. I need your closeness. I need your closeness that religion can't do for me. The sacrifices and all those things. Not even a human relationship. In fact, people that are the closest to me, they're they're stabbing me in the back. And, and, And they're betraying me. And they're lying about me. And they, and they can't wait to see me fail. He says, Let them be ashamed and confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and put to shame that wish me evil. Let them be desolate for a reward of their shame that say unto me, Aha, aha. See, they're waiting. It could, you could be you at work or even in church, unfortunately, where someone's envious. And again, Jesus went through this, looking for a, hanging on every word, waiting for him to say the wrong thing and to stumble so that they can make an accusation against him. You ever known anybody like that? You could be that person. It could be, I, I know that there are times in, you know, when you're upset, at your, you know, when you're trying to get your way, it could be with your own spouse. 
And it's like you care more about winning the argument than you're looking to hang on every little word. Well, you didn't do this and you didn't do that. And why? You know, and it's all full of pride and envy and there's no love in it. Let those, though, in contrast, let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. There's this guy I remember where I worked. He used to come in all the time. I know that he loves Jesus. Every time he'd see somebody, I mean everybody, he'd come in and say, God bless you. God bless you. God, I mean, he'd be going through the whole store. Hey, God bless you. I'm like, simple. And I'm thinking, imagine if we as Christians went around and actually not just spoke with our lips. Because Jesus said, you know, that we can speak with our lips praises to God and yet our hearts can be far from Him. If we can live in such a way that the Lord be magnified. It's, it's supernatural. You can't do it on your own, in your own nature. Because you like to magnify yourself. Let's face it. We do. That's our sinful nature. We like to be you know, very competitive. We like to one-up everybody. But David says, let those that seek Jesus... Say, the Lord be magnified. Remember what John the Baptist said? I must decrease and he must increase. What what an example. But David says, David didn't say in this psalm, look at me, look how strong I am. Look at me, I'm the greatest king on planet earth. Look at me, let's make Israel great again. And all these other things. He never lifted himself up to be seen And if he did, he admitted that he was wrong. But he says here in 17, he says, but I am poor and needy. Are you poor and needy? You know what that word poor means? It means depressed. I got to tell you, how could a Christian be depressed? How could the great king of Israel, David, physical king, How could he be depressed and needy? I thought if you have the Lord, you have everything. I'll admit to you. We can get depressed. I'll just admit to something to you that really hangs on my heart. I know Jesus Christ. I know he died for my sins. I have fellowship with him. I love him. And I know he loves me. And I know that without him, there would be no hope. I know it. I know things I've done in my life and I know what they deserve. And I know what the Bible says about it, that the wages of sin is death. And I know that's what I deserve. 
with that knowledge, understands that Jesus Christ came and He died for me. And He promised me eternal life despite all of the wickedness that I did have done in my life. I'm not content with living my life every day with that knowledge that He saved me, that He, rose, he died for me and rose again for me. And to think that somebody I love, my own kids maybe, family members, may not go to heaven because of their rejection of Jesus Christ. And when I think about that, I get depressed sometimes. But I know that it's not in my power to save them. I can't. As much as I pray for them. How many, how many of you, and I'll, I'll finish up here. How many of you have experienced, as you get older and your kids, your kids grow up and they become adults, and you're so used to being there and having that connection and on the daily and knowing their needs and wanting to be a part of their life, and now they're, they've become adults and they're out in the world, and all of a sudden the phone calls don't come anymore. And there's, there might be a lack of communication. You, you used to see them every day in your home. You used to see them wake up in their beds and play with their toys. And somewhere along the way, you know, you get older and now, now let me go. I'm free. Now I'm going to go out and do this and make my life. And all of a sudden, this, the connection seems to get a little further away. And you just anticipate. You expect, I I, I'm waiting for a phone call. I've been, I've been trying to get their attention. I just want to have them over for dinner and to love on them. And, and no, it doesn't happen as much. And see, when I was younger, as, as I'm receiving all this love from above, especially from my grandparents. And I'm, I've got my life. I'm going out. I'm playing sports. I'm doing this. And now, see, now my grandparents are gone. And it's all I miss. I miss it. I miss the connection. God created all of us for his good pleasure. He wants connection with his people. And the only way that connection can truly happen is if we come to a place where we admit that we're sinners and that we need Him and we need His forgiveness and that we want Him and the cry of our heart is to experience a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And that only can happen because Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross for you and me and paved the way, and made the way for us to know God and experience that personal connection. I'm going to end with Revelation. In Revelation chapter 22...
in verse 17, it says, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is athirst, Come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifies these things says, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. You see the expectancy there? Are you waiting? Are you expecting the Lord to return at any moment? Are you purifying yourself as He is pure? And that doesn't mean by your own works. It it comes through abiding with Christ, having a relationship with Christ. Jesus, He's given us closeness that we desire with God. Because he is God. Jesus is coming for his bride, the church. Are you waiting for him? Are you expecting him? Do you know him? Let today be the day of salvation. Confess your sins, which are many, and turn from your wicked ways and run to Jesus. He has paid for all of your sins upon himself. He is freely giving his life for yours and has conquered death and hell in his own body is payment for your sins. He did not come into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Like I said in the beginning, I'm not going to assume that everybody here is saved. I don't know all of you personally, and I don't know where you are in your walk with Jesus if you are saved, but I do know this. He, needs, he wants connection, and you need that connection. You're either going to be looking for Jesus Christ or you're going to be looking for a world that is slowly, or actually quickly, becoming filled with the spirit of Antichrist. Who are you looking for today? Can't, can't be in the middle. Either looking for Jesus or you're not. And I pray that today, Lord God, I pray that... Lord, I pray that even if it was one person that heard this and they don't know you personally, that their heart would be to cry out to you, that they wouldn't delay, that they wouldn't be ashamed at your great and mighty name that's worthy of all of our praise. Lord, you accomplished what we could not on that cross. You paid with your precious blood. You forgave us of all of our sins. You removed them as if they've never happened as far as the east is from the west. Lord, and you conquered death and you've promised us eternal life. You cannot lie. You are God and you are without sin. You promised us that if we put our faith and trust in you, that we would not perish, but would have everlasting life. You alone guarantee that. No religion does No other person, no other name under heaven guarantees that but your name, Jesus. And Lord, let you be magnified in our hearts today, not just in our lips. Lord, we all need to be closer to you. 
We all do. I do. I know I do. And I'm thankful, Lord, that you use sinners that you have saved and redeemed to even be able to speak your word to others. What a privilege. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all that you've done for us, all that you're going to do, all the stuff that you've done behind the scenes that we don't even know about. We don't give you praise enough. We don't thank you enough. I pray again, Lord, if there's someone today that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, we give it all to you. We give our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen.